0: Well, this would be the time that we normally take the offering, but we're not going to uh, pass a plate. But if you could um, remember um, either to give online or if you um, planned to come and give on the way out, we'd ask that you, you exit uh, not through the center door, but the side doors, and there are, uh, there's a box by either door. Don't put it in the slot. The slot goes to Chapel Street. Put it in the box. <laughs> box goes to Valley Brook. Very important that you find the right place to put the check in, okay? Um, also, we're going to celebrate communion today, and on Communion Sundays, we do um, encourage you to, to give a little bit extra toward our benevolence fund to help those out who may be uh, in need of some help. So, if uh, if you can remember that too on the way out, that would be fantastic. Um, just two quick announcements. Tomorrow, Monday night, um, D two is meeting uh, at six thirty at the Johnson's house, which is actually if you just walk that way through the woods, um, you'll find it. It's just right around the corner. Okay, and then um, youth is meeting on Monday nights. Um, Youth, we meet every Monday, 6.30. Um, While we're talking about youth, please also keep in mind we have a one-day retreat coming up January 30th. So please let uh, Ashley know if you're planning on coming to that. Okay? All right. Um, We are in Luke's Gospel. We are coming to the end of Luke's Gospel. And we are in chapter 23, where today we read about Jesus actually dying on the cross. So let's read this. It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. All of eternity past looks forward to this moment where Jesus dies on the cross. And for all of eternity future, we will look back to this moment when Jesus dies on the cross. It is the center of all of human history and divine history. We are on sacred ground as we examine this text. Now, Luke has us look at this event Um, from five different angles. Amazingly, they all begin with the same letter. I don't know how he could have done that, right? Um, But that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at this event from five angles, and um, the the first one (laughs) is the curse, the curse of darkness, all right? It says it was now about the sixth hour, so um, that doesn't mean six o'clock, it means noon. The sixth hour, according to their reckoning, was noon. It's high noon. He's been on the cross for three hours since 9 a.m. All right, So it's now noon. Remember, he's spoken with the thief. But now look what happens. And there was darkness over the whole land. Until the ninth hour, so from noon to three, there was darkness over the the land while the sun's light failed. So so what are we to make of the darkness? Well, some people have said, well, this must have just been an eclipse. Well, it couldn't have been an eclipse for a couple reasons. One, um, if you've ever seen an eclipse, there was one a couple of summers ago when the, the moon passed in front of the sun. I remember it was, a, it was an eerie day, and it lasted a good couple of minutes. And then it was done. Eclipses don't last three hours. And then secondly, this is during Passover, and Passover is calculated by there being a full moon. You can't have a full moon and an eclipse at the same time. It would have been a dark moon, right? So this was not an eclipse. Some people try to say, oh, it just was a coincidental thing that happened. Um, Other people, in, in talking about the darkness, they say, well, this was God expressing his disapproval at what the people had done to Jesus, Well, there's disapproval going on, but it's not God disapproving of the people. Do you remember the ten plagues that God brings upon the Egyptians? The ninth plague is a plague of darkness. It was a curse upon sinners. Okay? While the darkness here does communicate God's disapproval, it's not God's disapproval of what they had done to Jesus. It's God's disapproval of who? Jesus. Galatians three thirteen. Christ redeemed us. From the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. I think some of you are shocked when I said it's God's disapproval of Jesus. It's God's disapproval of Jesus, the sin bearer. He is pouring out his wrath and cursing Jesus in our place. The darkness is the plague of wrath upon Jesus, upon the cross. Where else? Is darkness a curse? Well, in hell, Jesus says, thrown into the outer darkness, people will be thrown into the outer darkness. Um, In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell is a place of utter darkness. Jesus Is in hell right now on the cross. Now, one more thought about the darkness. Let me share something interesting about the ninth plague. How dark was the plague upon Egypt? If we take a look, uh, Exodus 10 says this So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt, three days. Well, How how dark was it? They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. So the Israelites had sunshine. The Egyptians were in pitch darkness. They couldn't even see one another. Now, this is a... uh, a uh, an argument from analogy but if the darkness that god brought upon the egyptians is the same type of darkness that he brought upon jesus it was pitch dark and it may have served another purpose to communicate wrath but also some mercy not upon jesus But upon those who were watching, especially his mother, especially his followers, who could not possibly bear to observe the agony Jesus was about to endure for the next three hours. I think God may have spared human eyes from watching the agony of hell. So first... Luke talks about the darkness, the curse of darkness that comes over the land. Next thing he talks about is the curtain in the temple being torn. While the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. You go, what's, what's that all about? Well, Jesus is on a cross on a little hill called Calvary. Behind him is the temple mount. And let's take a look at the temple structure. Now, I found out that I can't use my little pointer. So you see the little pointer works here, but here the light just, that's like some supersonic light. Uh, it's like yeah, panels of, I don't know, it doesn't work. So um, I, what I need is a big stick. <laughs> but this is the, the temple court. And um, the temple mount, and by, by the way, if you look here, that's a football field. That's the size of a football field. So the temple structure was huge. Huge. Um, the mount is still there today, the same mount, but the building is gone. Now, here's what I want you to see the, the temple was a huge multi billion dollar sermon illustration, making one point. Okay, so can you see where it says court of the Gentiles or Gentile court? If you were a non Jew, you could go visit Jerusalem and you could actually go up on the Temple Mount. But you could not go. There's a little square around the middle section. Gentiles stay out. All right. Gentiles could go up on the court, but they couldn't go around that little block. So 90% of the world had to stay in the, the Gentile court. Okay. Then the, when you enter into the complex, that first court looks like a cross, That's called the court of the women. Now you go, okay, so only women could go in there. No, Um, women couldn't go beyond that point. But it's not as though all the men could go beyond that point either. In fact, the next court that surrounds the temple is called the court of the priests. So in the court of the women... Everybody had to stay there, and only the priests. And remember, the the priests came from one of the 12 tribes of Israel, the tribe of Levi. So only certain men from the tribe of Levi could enter into the court of the priests, but everybody else had to stay in that front court. So now, let's, let's take a look inside the temple building proper. Okay, It's... A big room divided with a curtain. And in the front part, it's called the holy place. The back part is called the holy of holies. Now, in the front portion, that's where certain priests could go in and they had Candles to light and an, an incense, uh, incense to change on the altar. And the showbread was on the table. And you were drawn by lot to serve in that portion of the temple. Remember John the Baptist's father. Zechariah was drawn by lot to go in. And that's where Gabriel appeared to him and said, You're going to have John the Baptist. Okay. Um, then there's a curtain. Separating that part of the temple from the back part of the temple called the Holy of Holies. Okay? In the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant where the Ten Commandments were. Nobody was allowed back there except one person, the high priest, one time a year. And he couldn't just go, Back there, he needed blood first for his own sins, and it was thrown on the Ten Commandments, on the Ark of the Covenant, and then blood for the people. What was the message of the temple? Stay away. Sinners, stay away from a holy God. You can't just come into my presence except one time a year, one person with blood. As Jesus is dying on the cross at the foot of the temple, God reaches down into the temple and rips the curtain in two. What what is he saying? Come. You can come now because of the blood that's being shed on the cross. In the book of Hebrews, it says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, By the blood of Jesus, not the blood of animals, it's the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us, look at this, through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with the true heart in full assurance of faith. You see, the, the real curtain is his body. And by, by God ripping the curtain in two, in essence, he's, he's saying two things. One, that's just a picture of what's going on on the cross. And number two, we don't need that temple anymore. We're done with this curtain because the true curtain has been ripped. And, and now and, and and by the way i think we need to we need to learn the lesson that that a holy god can't have sinners just come traipsing into his presence with arrogance but those who are in christ we can come into his presence with not with arrogance but with confidence look at uh, hebrews 4:16 let us then with Confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help him in time of need. You know, um, you may be here this afternoon, and you say, oh, "I'm a sinner. I am. I'm not even worthy to be here. I'm not even. I, I, we're going to do communion. I don't. Know, I. I do. You know what? It's not your record." That you present before him. It's Christ's blood that you present before him. And he tells us now we can come with confidence because of the blood of Jesus, because his body was ripped into. So that's the curtain. So now let's take a look at the cry. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Let me uh, compare this last thing that he says. To something that he cries out earlier. Um, You could call this a cry of endearment where he is entrusting himself to the Father. But earlier, there's the cry of dereliction is what theologians call it. Where he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And these, these two cries almost seem like opposites. One is, where are you? My God, my, he doesn't even call him Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the other one is, Ah, uh, oh, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So I think to understand this last cry, we really need to understand the first cry, the cry of dereliction. Um, so when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What, what was going on there? Well, some have, some have looked at that cry and they've said, see, Jesus never intended to be crucified. He's asking, why am I here? What has happened? What's gone wrong? No, 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 no. Um, Jesus says the reason he came was to be crucified. In Luke's gospel, three times alone, he says the reason we're going to Jerusalem is that the Son of Man would be crucified. So this isn't this isn't to be misread as Jesus didn't know what was happening here. Okay, and by the way, some of the men who have been watching uh, the American Gospel and um, uh, some people look at, at Jesus' death on the cross and they go, "Oh, if the way you guys look at it, where he's a sin sacrifice, that that's divine child abuse." That that God would slam Jesus up against the cross, and your view, your, your, your view of Christianity and what went on on the cross, that's sick. Well, um, the, the, the response to those who say that this was divine child abuse is this. Jesus was not going to the cross against his own choice. In fact, in John um, 10. Speaking of his life, he says, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So Jesus, is, he knows why he's there. He, he is not questioning what's happening. right? What's going on? Well, some of you know this. He's quoting the first verse of a psalm. Psalm 22, 1, where David writes, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning. Here's what's going on. The psalms... Were the soundtrack of Jesus' mind. The Psalms were the soundtrack of all the the, the pious Jews. He's, he's, he thinks in Psalms. Okay, um, here's a here's an analogy. So um, when I was growing up, there's a, there was a and they're still around, I guess. Marshall Tucker Band, remember that band? Okay, and there's a song. It's on it's on my playlist. Can't you see? Can't you see what that woman been doing to me? Right. And Elizabeth goes, why, why, are you, why are you singing that song? All right. All right. But um, I remember in high school, a Marshall Tucker band and Charlie Daniels band. Okay. Some, some people listen to that. But when, uh, when we went through the, the drama of adolescent heartbreak, some of my friends and I would, would just start singing, can't you see, can't you see. And you know what? We, we really weren't asking a question. Like can, We were singing the blues is what we were doing. Okay? You know what Jesus is doing here? He's not asking, why have you forsaken? He's, he's lamenting with David's words he's emoting the anguish of feeling abandoned you know why cuz he is abandoned right now All right here's what i would say don't fo- focus on the word why focus on the word abandon he is abandoned at this point now Let me show you something else just utterly amazing. By just emoting that verse, it draws our attention to Psalm 22, which was written 1,000 years before Jesus lived. It was written by his great-great-great-great-great-great-grandpa, King David. And it's an amazing prophecy of what Jesus was about to experience So David writes this a thousand years earlier. All who see me mock me. Remember, they're mocking him as he's hanging on the cross. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of bastions surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a raving and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. You know what happens when you hang all your body weight on a cross? Your shoulders dislocate. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. Remember one of the seven things Jesus shouted on the cross. One of them was, I thirst. Right? You lay me in the dust of death for dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircle me. They have, look at this, they have pierced My hands and feet. You go, when was this written? Was this written after? the? This was written a thousand years before the crucifixion. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide, look at this, they divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. Remember the soldiers? They're so cold hearted. That they nail him to the cross and as they rip his clothes off they divide up his clothes and one of them, they don't want to rip it so they roll a die and some guy wins his, his garment. That's all Psalm 22. Okay. Now, all that to say, how do we explain the difference between my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. One, one is God's, at odds with me, the other is I can't wait to be with you. Well, John's gospel tells us that Jesus shouted one more thing before he entrusted his soul to the Father. And that was, Te telestai. It is finished. What does that mean? The cup of wrath has been fully consumed. The full payment for the sins of the world has been fully paid. It's done. Therefore, Father, now I can entrust my spirit to you. Right? It's done. That explains now the words of endearment. Now, Quickly, the next thing, the centurion. It says, now, when the centurion saw what had taken place. So who's the the centurion? A centurion was a Roman soldier in charge of a hundred men. What was this guy's job? Professional crucifier. I'm sure his first crucifixion, he went home horrified and then kind of became... Common. He could nail a guy to a cross now And supervise his men to do it with efficiency With mockery Divide up the clothes But now this, this centurion says Certainly this man was innocent What's going on here? we're beginning to see the results of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross immediately. The people who had just heartlessly crucified him come to believe in him. This is a confession of faith. In, in, uh, isn't it like Luke, that the first confession of faith comes from the mouth of a Gentile? Um, Matthew tells us it wasn't just the centurion, but the, the other soldiers when the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake. By the way, there was a, not only the ripping of the, of the curtain, but there was an earthquake. Right? And what took place? They were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. So it wasn't just the centurion, but the other soldiers at least come to believe that this is the Son of God. Okay? And like I said, in Luke, it's, it's the outcast, it's the Gentiles, it's the tax collectors, it's the prostitutes, it's the prodigal son who has spiritual insight. Whereas the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders, they don't get it. But the soldiers, they get it and they start to believe. And not only do we see the ripples of what Jesus did start to go out to the soldiers, we even see it extend to the crowd. So let's take a look at this last line. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle. Hey, it was a spe- this is a spectacle. Let's go to the circus. They're going to they're crucify a guy today. Let's go check it out. So they gathered for the spectacle. When they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. Now, whether this is conversion of the soul or not, I, I don't know, but it's certainly a conversion of attitude, because before it was a joke, before they were mocking him, before it was entertainment, it's no longer a joke something terrible yet holy and monumental has happened and they get it. Which may explain why 40 days later when Peter stands on the temple steps and he he says, people of Israel you crucified your Messiah and rather than a riot breaking out. You know what the people did? They believed and they repented and they were baptized, 3,000 of them. Maybe because they witnessed this. Some of them witnessed this. And Peter's words rang true because they were there. Right? So, how about you? The thief believed The centurion believed. The soldiers believed. Some in the crowds. And the crowd believed. Have you looked to him like that thief and realized you're helpless spiritually? You're a sinner. You're going to meet your God and you have nothing to offer. And you turn and you look at Jesus and you, you piece it together and you go, it's true. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God, as the soldiers said. He is paying for my sins. And remember what the thief said, remember me. Remember me doesn't mean just think about it. It means save me. That's what faith is. It's, it's save me, Jesus. And he looks at you and he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to receive communion. Lord, it's hard to believe that the God of all glory, the God of all creation actually did this. You went to hell on our behalf. You died an agonizing death. You took the wrath upon yourself. The dark curse was for you. Which communicates, Lord, to us your great love that you have for sinners. We thank you, Lord, that all who call upon your name, who just cry out and say, save me, remember me, and we place our trust in you. You assure us that we're forgiven. We're heaven-bound. Thank you, Lord, for the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.